Hey everybody, welcome back to Vertical Vision. I took a little bit of time off for the holidays and I'm excited to be back. Uh, excited for next week getting back into the journey through the Bible. Uh, but this week I wanted to touch on something that uh, kind of was in my face a little bit over the last couple of weeks as as you know, I'm, I'm getting together with, with uh, people and there's gatherings and such and talking with some people that I haven't talked with in a while and whatnot. Uh, and something that came up uh, in some conversations was that uh, people were saying that they did not believe that Jesus was the only way to God, the only way for salvation. Uh, that there's other paths, and that's nothing new, uh, and it's been growing in the church uh, for quite some time as well, and some of them uh, used to proclaim to be Christians and now do not uh, claim to be Christians, and then some of them uh, say that they're Christians, but they don't believe what Jesus said about himself, and that can be a really big challenge when we find ourselves in a, uh, a conversation like that. How do we respond? And I, I thought it would be a good idea to, to share a couple of things with you um, that might help in this kind of conversation. Uh, it's not going to be a uh, surefire way to get people to see the light. Um, unfortunately, uh, we can't really change people's minds, all we can do is give the truth, uh, give some talking points, pray, but it's really going to be the Lord working on their hearts and uh, them and the Lord working this out. All we can do is plant the seeds, okay, and water them. Uh, so the, the thing that I think really helps with this is something that C.S. Lewis uh, coined, put together, uh, that he called the trilemma, okay? And what C.S. Lewis basically was saying is that uh, Jesus gives us no middle ground as to who he is. He is either who he claimed to be or he's not, period. So what the trilemma says uh, is that Jesus is either Lord, okay, who he claimed to be, or he was a liar, or he was a lunatic. That's pretty straightforward. So when somebody comes to us and says that they don't believe that Jesus is the only way to God, then that only leaves us two options. And we can, we can respond and say, okay, so if he's, he's not who he says he is, then what options do we have? Because Jesus said that white is the gate, and easy is the path that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by that gate. But narrow is the gate and difficult is the path that leads to life. And few are those who find it. Well, how narrow is that gate that leads to life? Well, that's as narrow as Jesus. Because Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father unless they go through me. Jesus also said that he was the door of the sheepfold, okay? And he was talking about the kingdom of heaven being the sheepfold 
and uh, the people of God being the sheep, and he's the door of that sheepfold. And in order to get in there, you have to go through him, the door. And if you also look at the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was praying to his father, and he was under such strain emotionally and spiritually. He was sweating blood and he was crying out to his father. And he said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way, let me not have to go to the cross. And it wasn't just the pain of the cross that he was looking ahead to, but he was going to bear the wrath and the judgment of God for all the sins, for all humanity, for all time upon himself. And that is an intense, heavy burden. Well, Jesus went to the cross. There was no other way. So Jesus' claims about who he is and his actions at the cross and in the Garden of Gethsemane make it very clear that he was saying that he is the only way. So when people say he's not, our options are he's a liar or a lunatic. So we can ask, well, then, then was Jesus a liar? Just concocting this because he wanted people to follow him for some reason. And most people are going to say, no, Jesus wasn't a liar. Uh, you know, he was, he was a good moral man. He was a good moral teacher. Uh, he was a spiritual man. But if he's not who he says he is, you know, our options are he's a liar or he's a lunatic. And if he's lying, then he can't be a good moral teacher. In fact, he would be evil because he led millions of upon millions of people astray, making them think that they had to go through him to get to God. And that is a horrible thing to do if it's not true. So, you know, we can't say that he was a good person if he's a liar. And the reality is most people are not going to say that Jesus was a liar, okay? So then our only option is that he was crazy. He had a Messiah complex. He had this crazy idea that if he went to the cross, he'd save all humanity for all time. But again, most people are not going to say that Jesus was crazy. And you look at his teachings, and they're full of wisdom and power and grace and beauty and strength. They're phenomenal. They're profound. They're not the ramblings of a madman. Now that brings us back around to the other option. If he's not crazy and if he's not a liar, then he's got to be who he says he is, the Lord. I wish it stopped there and it was a sealed deal, but like I said, that's probably not going to be the case. And I've had a, a few different comments come back regarding this um, that I'll share with you. Uh, one statement is this. Well, Jesus, you know, isn't crazy and Jesus isn't a liar. The reality is we just can't know exactly what Jesus taught and what Jesus did. Uh, because as people talked and, and passed down the, the stories and the teachings, they just changed over time. And 
to an extent even, you know, the, the truth became legend and lore. So we really don't know for sure, okay? My challenge to this is how do you know that we can't know for sure what Jesus did and what Jesus taught? What evidence do you have? And that's an important question because most people don't have any evidence. They're just saying what they've heard or what they think. And the reality is there is a mountain of evidence, a huge mountain of evidence to the contrary that shows that we know exactly what Jesus taught and what Jesus did. There's a science called textual criticism, and it's what scholars use to determine the authenticity of an ancient writing, okay? And they look at the copies that we have and compare them and determine what the original actually said. So think about this. The New Testament was written primarily by eyewitnesses, okay, who were there. The few instances where it was not, the parts were not written by eyewitnesses, they were written by people who interviewed and interacted with the eyewitnesses. Luke and his gospel is one example of that, okay. Luke was around the eyewitnesses and he was meticulous. He was a doctor and you look at how he records the history in the book of Acts, where he was right there for that. Um, it's very, very detailed. And for his gospel, it's very, very detailed. So everything is based in eyewitness accounts. And the original writings were only a few decades removed from the actual events. So it wasn't passed down and passed down and passed down over generation and things getting lost in, in relaying that message. The people who were there wrote them down so that they would be preserved. And the copies that we have, the earliest portions of copies, are only 100 years removed from the original, okay, which is nothing. And we have thousands of copies that show us that what we have today in the New Testament and in the Gospels is exactly what was written 2,000 years ago, all right? So to say that we don't know, that's just not, that's just not true, okay? And consider this, since this was written by eyewitnesses, um, if they were lying, uh, what, what did they get from that? What benefit? Because these people who wrote the New Testament suffered horribly, were even martyred and brutally executed for the message of Jesus Christ, declaring that he is the only way to salvation, declaring that he was crucified for the sins of humanity, declaring that he rose from the dead on the third day and that he is Lord God Almighty. They suffered. So, you know, why, why would you go through all of that for a lie? Again, this is something just to consider when somebody comes back and says, well, we can't know for sure. And you can ask them how they know that. And then you can let them know that this is how we can know for sure. And you can do some research, uh, uh, you know, on, on textual criticism and how it works if you want to get better acquainted with that. Um, but that's, that's a way to respond to that. Another 
objection that comes up is, well, what about all the people who have never heard of Jesus, never heard the gospel? So God's going to condemn them to hell because they didn't get the memo? No, that's not the case. We don't know exactly how God's going to take care of that, but there are things that we do know about God. One of the big things is God loves humanity. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not be condemned, would not perish, but have eternal life. God loves people. In the book of Ezekiel, God says he takes no delight in the death of the wicked, but he pleased to them that they would return, they would repent and turn to him. He doesn't want to send people to hell. He doesn't want to condemn people. That's why Jesus came, okay? So God's not going to just do that arbitrarily because somebody didn't get the message. We also know that God is just, right? And to condemn somebody to eternity in hell because they didn't know about Jesus is unjust. It doesn't fit God's character. Another thing that we know is that God has given us what's called general revelation of himself. In the book of uh, Romans, it talks about how creation declares and reveals the invisible attributes of God so that everybody can know that there is a God and a creator, okay, and understand some key elements about who he is. And then there's that moral compass, our conscience, that is universal to all people throughout the world. And there's just certain things that are fundamentally good and bad, right and wrong, that is universal. And that's that moral law that God's put on our hearts. So we know some things about God because of that moral compass, that conscience that all people have. And so with having that, God is going to judge people based upon what they know. You look at Abraham, he believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. What did he believe? Did he believe the gospel? Did he believe in Jesus? Not directly. What he did was he believed the promise of God. God said, I am going to give you a land and I am going to make you the father of a nation, many nations. And in you and your descendants, singular, your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And it says that, Abraham believed what God said, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He didn't have a lot to go on, you know, but he had the promise of God, and he believed it. And you look in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, you see all these people who are counted as righteous by their faith in God just resting on a promise that they have. They didn't have the full picture. They didn't have the full gambit of the gospel and how it was all going to play out. But they did trust God in what they did have. And I really believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if somebody can look at creation, they can look at uh, the conscience that's universal to humanity and say, there is a God. I believe that God is big enough to connect with them somehow. And we see that throughout Scripture. 
God is always initiating a relationship and a connection with people. Jesus himself said that he came to seek and to save the lost. He was the one who took the initiative to reach out to us. God was the one who took the initiative to send Jesus to reach out to us. So God's big enough to handle that, all right? Uh, I know that's a lot right there, but just to, to have it said, when somebody says, what about all those people who've never heard? God's big enough to take care of it, okay? And he'll deal with them based upon what they know. That we do know, all right? Then another objection that comes up is that that's just a very narrow view. And I don't think it's right. Well, that's, you, you can't do a whole lot with that. You know, that's a person's opinion. Um, but I, I, I came across a, a video of a gal. Her name is uh, Melissa Doherty, and uh, she's an apologist. And she had a really good example of how this works. She had a padlock and a whole bunch of keys. And uh, all these keys were not working to open the padlock. Why? Well, it's obvious there's only one key that's going to work. And to say that there's only one key to open that lock is not being narrow-minded. That's just the way it is. It's designed that way. And fortunately, God cared enough about us to provide the key to gain access into heaven and have our sins forgiven. And that key is Jesus. Okay, so you know, it's, it's not being narrow-minded if there's only one way. That's just the way that it is. And then the fourth and final thing that I've, I've, I was hearing uh, that concerned me is, you know, some of the people that I were talking with was saying that, you know, that now that they have uh, become more open-minded about God and how to get to God and have a relationship with God, um, and not being uh, exclusively looking at Jesus, that they have more peace, uh, they have more happiness, and they feel like they're really connecting with God more. Now, how do you respond to that? And that's very subjective, okay? This is how they feel. And I think what it really boils down to is we're comfortable with that kind of thing because we've come to a point where we have created a God in our own image. And I'll hear people say, uh, you know, this is what I believe uh, and, and this idea that there's more than one way to God really fits my belief system. Um, or this fits my worldview. And so it's very subjective. This is what I like. This is what is comfortable. Uh, this is what uh, fits my belief system. And in that subjectivity, there's comfort because we've embraced something that suits us. Okay. And Jesus, he doesn't suit us a lot of times because we are fallen. We are sinful. And Jesus says he's a rock of offense and a stone of stumbling. And you know, when Jesus calls people on, on their sin, that's not comfortable. Or when Jesus says he's the only way and you have to put your trust in him, that's not comfortable. We want some other option. 
when he, he says that he's Lord and we need to submit to his authority, that's not going to be comfortable if we want to be the masters of our own destiny and be in control. So I think that's what it really boils down to is that peace, that happiness isn't because you found truth. It's because you found a place where you can be comfortable with a belief system rather than having to face the one true God, to face Jesus. See, Jesus said this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's very exclusive. What is eternal life? It's not just going to heaven. It's knowing, and that word for know is a personal, intimate, experiential knowledge, a relationship with the one singular, true, no other God and Jesus the Christ whom he sent. That's it. So I hope that this gives you some food for thought and gives you some tools to actually have a, a dialogue with people regarding this instead of, you know, just going, oh, I don't know what to say. And you're not going to have all the answers. And, and the responses that people are, are going to come back with are numerous, okay? Um, but if you can keep that dialogue going... And if you don't have an answer to something, you know, say, hey, you know, let me check that out. Let me look into it and uh, see if I can't get back with you on an with an answer. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? What we're doing is we're keeping the channels of communication open with people. We're sowing seed and hopefully in a loving way, uh, giving people the opportunity to kind of think about the things that they're saying and believing, and hopefully the Lord will use that as an uh, opportunity for them to turn to Him. So uh, God bless you, and uh, look forward to uh, being with you again uh, next week as we delve back into the journey through the Bible.